halfway decent podcast about art history. I'm Sarah. I was a graphic design major and had to take several semesters of art history. And I'm Mike, and I know jack squat about art history. So, Sarah, what is our topic for today? Well, I thought we would start out with Pablo Picasso. I do know that name. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, what else do you know about Picasso? I know he... Uh, maybe some pictures with some like awkward shape, not awkward shapes, but weird shapes for faces. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. about the extent of my my knowledge of Picasso. All right. Well, great. Then we've got a, a blank canvas, so to speak. Boo. <laughs> All right. All right. So Picasso was born in Spain on August, October 25th, 1881. Um, his father was what they called an academic painter, so he painted, but he also taught in a in an academy there. Um, he specialized in like nature, um, things that things like that, and um, he was also the curator of a local museum. So, as you can imagine, Picasso from <laughs> young Pablo from a year young age Jeez. was. What? What did I do? Young Pablo. No, never mind. What is... Um, there's a, a Yeezy album. You know I wouldn't know that. No, I don't know that either. <laughs> Obviously don't know it well enough. Go on. Anywho, young Pablo Picasso um, began studying art at a young age, you know, with an art history or art father art father art teacher father <laughs> art father interesting oh boy uh he you know obviously taught his son um pretty young um at f- around four years old the family moved to barcelona and he began studying at la lonja which is um an Easy academy you, of the so. arts yeah uh-huh um when he was um, when he was 18, um, he was in a group called, well, they met at a cafe that was called Els Quatre Gats. Would you like to guess what that means? Mm, I was going to say something about cats, but I'm pretty sure that's not the answer. It's right. It's the four cats. <laughs> so that was the cafe. Um, and it was a group of modernist poets and artists and writers and artists. Wait, I said artists. Anyway. Uh, and so they um, would meet and talk and do art, and it was this happy, fun group. One of the people who was uh, in that group was a guy named Carlos. I don't know how to say his last name. Casemos? Cas- yes. Casajemos? That's exactly C-A-S-A-G-E-M-O-S. Um, and they were good friends, he and Picasso. They traveled around together. Um, they st- traveled through Spain and Paris. They ended up living together as roommates. In 1900, which was when he was 19, Picasso had his first show. It went pretty well. 19 but, years old in his first art show. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next year... His friend Carlos committed suicide. Ooh, that's, you know, uh, as I think we'll probably learn as we go through these lives of these artists, always sad. You know what's hard to do? I mean, it's not always. A podcast about guys with sad (laughs) things in their lives all the time. Okay, well, his his is not always sad. Okay, good. But um, it did inspire, if you've heard of Picasso's Blue Period, that's what started it. So uh, his friend, so if you want to know the backstory briefly, um, his friend was impotent and really wanted to marry this girl, and she turned him down, and he ended up shooting. He shot at her and then shot himself. It was very messy very and terrible. Uplifting. But, yeah, Picasso um, started painting in with a primarily blue palette. Um, Hence the blue period. Correct. He did a lot of portraits of his friend, even some of like with the 
bullet wound in oh, his head. Geez. Like, I mean, it's not like gruesome, but you know, he was in a dark place. Um, sure. And these paintings were not only of his friend and you know some of those themes, but also it was of like the common people, um, the disenfranchised. They showed you know it was people in poverty and loneliness. So if you know the old guitarist is one of his paintings that a lot of people know. I mean, it was like a poster that people had in their dorm rooms, sort of a thing. For those listening, I shook my head. No. Okay. Well, um, for those of you who are googling along with us, mm. um, good grief! Yes, I definitely know the old guitarist. Yeah, you just have to look it up, and yeah, you know for it. sure. Um, and so you can see, like, this guy is like gaunt and looks poor and a lot of um the figures are kind of contorted and you know he was going through obviously sort of a depression himself having you know grieving the loss of his friend so at this time is he um does he have his distinct style or is he just painting like the commoners would well that's a good question um he is inspired by some other artists um if any anyone listening or michael knows uh the painter el greco you can see some pretty distinct parallels between their works we'll talk about el greco sometime sure um and and i think it is distinct but it's not um necessarily like groundbreaking like his art it's not the the shape faces well, you can see. Obviously, that guy looking has at the picture an of the old guitarist. Face. Yeah, it does have an actual face and an actual <laughs> guitar. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's it's, you know, a little bit contorted, you know, not maybe not necessarily realistic in that way, but it's not I would I would say that's a realistic painting. You know what else I'd say about that picture? What's that? Kind of blue. Yeah, very blue. Nailed um, it. Um exactly. Exactly. So uh, he he was working with this blue palette for um, like three or four years. So in 1904, he moves to Paris. So this is like three or four years into his blue period. Is that um, another thing that's going to be in common with a lot of artists is Paris? Well, Or is it I mean, just that time? It, this is... Eh. I mean, let's be honest. It's 2019. Almost 20. I want to live in Paris because why the heck not? I mean, Paris has always been sort of a, a hub for art. You know, you're going to go to Paris and see art. You're going to have good food. You're going to, you know, it's it's a major world city. So it's going to be a place where a lot of people gravitate. Um, anyway, so he goes to Paris, uh, starts painting um, these performers that he's seeing carnival performers harlequins clowns and his palette shifts to sort of more red orange pink tones and definitely becomes happier more (laughs) less depressing in nature i mean it's it's like parents and their children i mean they are circus performers so i mean maybe there's some commentary about how happy whatever but Overall, the tone is not depressing. Um, and this period is called his rose period by scholars and people who know things. Um, it's also much less, much less monochromatic. So rather than having it, you know, a lot of the paintings in his blue period look like he maybe, it looks almost like you could have like taken a blue wash over the whole thing, you know, whereas these... I mean, it's a lot more vivid and more realistic colors, but you you do see kind of an undertow of like pinks, reds, more vivid, rich colors. So you might be familiar with Gertrude Stein. Does I that name sound know familiar? The name, yes. Okay. So um, she was an author, um, and she and her brother Leo were dedicated patrons of the arts, in particular to Picasso. They held these Saturday evening salons for 
writers and artists to come together and critique each other. Oh, get their and, hair to, oh I see that no. kind of salon. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. bad. Different. Um, and someone that they introduced uh, Picasso to was Henry Matisse. So you know that name. So lots of artists were there. And the Steins actually ended up being patrons of Picasso's for years and years and years, particularly Gertrude. Um, But he, Picasso develops an interest in uh, Iberian, which I believe is Spanish and Portugal, like uh, native people. Um, so Iberian sculpture and African oceanic art, um, lots of like African masks. He would go to museums and see these things. And um, that really influenced the way he saw, especially portraiture. Um, he did a portrait of Gertrude Stein. And <laughs> it's also a famous one, if you want to Google that one. He... She sat for him for over 80 sittings. Oh, my. How long was a sitting? Well, I don't know. Oh. Well, that's not helpful. But, I mean, you think <laughs> about, like, come over and I'll paint your portrait. But he did that, like, 80 times for this one painting. And he could never quite get the face right the way he wanted it. What was the name of that painting? Gertrude Stein. It might be Portrait of Gertrude Stein. I don't know. I don't know that we've made this disclaimer yet, but um, while I have had several semesters of art history and I do some research, like this is not something you should cite in your academic paper or anything. (laughs) Like do your own research if you're that interested. I, on the other hand, give you permission to cite me (laughs) however you want. It's fine. Well, um, there's that, but I'm just saying... I'm, I'm doing my best here, people. So he's doing this portrait um, and ends up kind of referring back to some of those what is referred to. Like, I don't love the term, and I think there's some pushback in some of the art community for the word primitive, which is sometimes what native-type art is referred to as. Sure. Uh, but so he kind of takes her actual face and kind of makes it mask like um and that's what it kind of ends up like and that type of treatment of the face you'll see throughout i don't know i don't know about necessarily throughout his life but throughout more paintings um he kind of goes with that style for a while is it just because he's bad at drawing faces <laughs> maybe because <laughs> when i used to draw people they never had hands showing because i'm bad at drawing hands i mean like if you want to refer again back to the old guitarist like he's not bad at it that's fair maybe he's bad at flesh tones it's a flesh wound i don't know anyway so uh the first big art piece that I want to talk about um and again pardon pardon my French um but it is called Les Demoiselles d'Avion and um that I know that one yes not by name or even who did it I just know it because (laughs) when we were in New York City we saw it so that was cool um so maybe before we talk about it what do you remember about that i have to be honest with you i just pulled it up on the computer Mm -hmm. and so i'm currently looking at it Mm -hmm. and i remember that it oh you know what now i remember because you told me that it was uh he used to was it a brothel he would go to and painted these women that were in the brothel I don't know. Well, I don't know that he like, well, he probably did knowing what I know about Picasso, but they are women in a brothel. Yes. Correct. What else do you remember of the experience of seeing that painting? What does uh, it look like? I remember that it is not exactly realistic. It was mm-hmm. kind of um, basic body shapes, but with a lot of 
more geometric tones to it than like a actual body would have right it's also enormous oh yeah it takes up like a whole wall uh the actual dimensions i wrote them down because i needed them uh 96 by 92 inches that's almost eight foot by which is real big the girls in depicted in it are larger than realistic um so it was painted in 1907 it took him nine months to complete it and when he when he finally did complete it his friends he would like invite them over to his apartment and his friends all hated it and were totally against him like showing it to anyone or doing anything with it um and so it wasn't so he painted it in 1907 he didn't exhibit it for the first time until 1916 it just was in his apartment because everyone hated it so you can take that as a sign of him being like before his time or whatever but um that's kind of how it went down so um as we talked about this was a painting of um prostitutes and it is a revolutionary painting in that it is considered the first cubist painting which we'll talk about cubism in just a moment but um basically you see these women and as you said michael it's not it's not just a portrait of four women um they are broken up into geometric parts i hate to to be the um actually here but it's five did i say you said four four. oh it's only because i'm looking at the picture you're staring at the painting yes it's very sorry that is that is my mistake actually it started out as i think it was actually three women and two men two male clients of the prostitutes interesting yeah so it was one was a sailor so it was the one on the far left um and held i think and held a skull that was a reference to death and then um there was also or no 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 i take that back uh one was a sailor i think that was the one there was one in the middle and one was supposed to be a medical student i don't know why medical student i guess because he was holding a skull oh okay i thought you were gonna say never mind go on i don't know i could never really i like i there is somewhere there's a picture um because he did tons and tons and tons of sketches for this piece so there is lots of evidence of like his process um at least at one point i'm pretty sure the face of the figure that's on the sort of bottom right um pretty sure i've seen a, a picture of that and the face is actually a torso so like the mouth was like the belly button so um, we went freaky. we went some places so if you remember as we were just talking about Gertrude Stein yes and how he rendered her face in sort of this mask like way so as he was starting this painting he actually went to a museum in Paris and saw African sculpture and masks and wanted to show well as we've said maybe he was just bad at rendering faces i'm not sure but he decided to render you can see very clearly as you're looking at this at least the top the standing ish for women um have very mask-like features yeah you can you can definitely see the influence that that trip to the museum had on him um the three on the left were kind of done first and in that kind of iberian sculpture style um 
if you compare their faces to that of Gertrude Stein, like especially around the eyes, they're very similar. Um, and the two on the right were rendered later, and those are kind of more influenced by African masks, but you can kind of see that those, well, the bottom one is just kind of wild. But Do you mean how they don't look like human faces at all? A little bit. Yeah, a little yeah. bit like uh, nothing at all like a human face. Yeah. Except vague rem resemblance, like a, say a mask. Right. Yeah. So this painting is revolutionary for several reasons. Um, one of which is that the figures in the painting engage the viewer directly. So these are prostitutes, and in some of art history, there have been some people who've kind of subverted the norm, but in a lot of art history, if there's a nude, you know, she's demure and looking away, and her gaze is not at the viewer. In this, you are forced to engage, you know, because <laughs> it's like they're looking at you. Um, in that same way, um, you can, so the, the drapery, I don't know if you can tell that that's what it is that's around them, is supposed to be sort of like the curtain being pulled back. So it's as if you, the viewer, are the John visiting the brothel. So you are like, invited into this space that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily go to. So another thing is that... Can I just say, though, the good news is, if you look at that painting, they have fruit, so snacks. <laughs> yeah, so it started, like I said, when it started out um, in the first kind of versions of it, it was a whole sort of like waiting room area in the brothel. So it was like this guy brought it, this medical student brought his skull. There was a bowl of fruit on the table. It was like this waiting room. There's, you know, these women were waiting to invite them back to the rooms, I guess. And that all kind of like over time got diminished. And now we have <laughs> this one sort of bowl of fruit. Can I just say how whack it is that someone would bring a skull to a place like that? It's symbolism, Michael. Sure. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> credit where credit is due. So, another thing that's kind of wild about this painting is, like we've talked about, these women are not all rendered in the same way. Like, not only is he using these quote-unquote primitive art influences but he's not even doing it the same way in the same painting you know you could almost take each of those women I mean maybe the two in the middle are probably the most similar but beyond that you could almost take each one of them and you would say those are separate styles but they're all there in one painting and that's not something that was traditionally done. I mean, it took him nine months to do. He forgot what he did when he started. <laughs> I understand. I've been there. I mean, that's not exactly what that meant. <laughs> Whatever. But, so the thing that probably most makes this um, important as far as art history is concerned <clears throat> is that he was trying this thing that ended up being the movement, art movement of cubism, which is that he was trying to show multiple perspectives of the same image at once. So, for example, um, the, <laughs> the lady on the bottom right who is squatting with her back to you, but he's also kind of showing the front of her face, like an actual person would not be able to turn their head all the way around. That reminds like me that. of like the horror movie trailers I've seen. <laughs> right. It's like, mm, I'm not going to be there for sure. Not walking into that place. Right. And like, um, the lady in the top, in the top, right. You can see like the, the middle ladies 
have breasts, you can tell. Top right, that's more geometric and kind of obscured. Um, and the one, the second one to the right, second one from the left, I guess, uh, you can't really tell. It, she kind of looks like she's laying down. You would think she was laying down if you didn't see like the person on the left standing. So what that might have been is actually him trying to depict her laying down but still be able to show it from a top view even though the rest of them are from profile. So it's this kind of wild thing which is probably part of the reason why his friends were like, dude, don't show that to people, you know? they It was just so wild for what was happening in art at the time so it's, it's kind of like uh the matrix camera but in a <laughs> painting is what you're saying something like that yeah nailed it yeah so he actually called it le bordel d'avion which means the brothel of avion um but there was an art critic art critic named andre salmon salmon probably salmon we'll call him salmon all right he uh actually managed the first exhibit um picasso was showing this in and he renamed it le demoiselles which means the young ladies to make it less controversial so that it's like these are just naked ladies and not like these are naked ladies at a brothel right but it's kind of strange considering they're naked and engaging the viewer and like doing all of these things it's not like you look at this especially with their mask like faces it's not like you look at that and say oh the beautiful young women like you like it's not necessarily like a comfortable painting to look at it's not like it's necessarily celebrating the female form so it's it's interesting that he chose that name for it and that that it it stuck because Picasso himself never liked the name and never referred to it that way. Man of conviction. I admire that. Yeah, I guess. So he painted this work and as we talked about, it took him a long time to actually show it and it was not received super well by the art world. Um, Not until later was it better appreciated. I mean, most a lot of new things are not appreciated in their time sure. right away. It changes hard for anyone, so right. I get it. Yeah. So the other thing, I feel like I keep saying, like, the thing that made this so great and the real thing, <laughs> but this painting was sort of, it is considered the first cubism artwork. That's impressive. Right. Which cubism is a an artistic style developed by Picasso and a man named George Brock. And it shows different views, different perspectives of the same subject in the same picture, resulting in paintings that are fragmented and abstracted. So not really to do with cubes, which cubism would make you think of. It's more about the perspective and combining all these different perspectives. It's like if you took the Matrix camera. Gosh. Yes. Go on. And and take all the different, uh, all the different shots from that and combine it into one picture. And so you see, say, a bullet from all angles at one time or whatever. In this case, some prostitutes. Sure. Yeah. Um, the word cubism, since you brought it up, uh, was actually derived from a critic of George Brock's who said that he was, quote, reducing everything to geometric outlines to cubes. So it came from someone who was looking at it and said it was little looks. I mean, because a lot of the early ones especially do look like, I mean, it's basically like squares all put together um and kind of like you were talking about um if i wanted to show a person sitting 
and they look best, their face looks best in profile, but I also want you to see that they have, um, I don't know, great abs, but also <laughs> you want to see how their legs look from the top when they're crossed. That's kind of the idea is like showing this same thing, different pieces in different ways, which they kind of took that to the extreme and ended up making something that is for the most part almost entirely abstract. Can I just say, first of all, very flattered. I know you like my abs, <laughs> but also that's really like I would never think to do something like that. Like, who thinks of, I want to show you this chair, but I want to show you this chair if you're looking at it from this side and the front and the top all at once and combine them into one picture right. and make it a thing. Yeah. It's, well, it's, I was about to say, it's kind of like collage. Like, if you had different photographs of the same thing and then you kind of collaged them all together and then it became this weird thing that kind of is a chair but kind of really isn't at the same time that's kind of what cubism was so there are two different sort of two different uh schools if you will of cubism um or movements probably is more accurate the first one is what they call analytic so that was really popular between 1908 and 1912 and so that is sort of the hmm traditional maybe version of cubism where it's interweaving planes and lines um it's a lot of muted tones like blacks and browns and grays i will say if you uh just google image search cubism most of the pictures are kind of like that they're real muted tones a lot of lines Mm -hmm. they are kind of people or kind of instruments uh, but broken up into these very geometric shapes, really kind of wild looking. I think uh, if you people, I can see why people wouldn't necessarily like it. It looks like if you're if you're used to seeing these portraits of people who are very realistic looking, and suddenly you're seeing these weird shapes that kind of make the shape of a person place. Or not place, that's a noun. A person or thing, uh, like an instrument or whatever. It's wild looking, yeah. but also understanding like the perspective behind it. You're like, oh, that's that's kind of neat. That's really interesting and kind of appreciate a little more. Yeah. So the second movement of Cubism happened roughly between 1912 and 1914. And that was using similar shapes uh, sometimes brighter colors than the the first movement, but um, one of the key things is that they usually collaged in other elements, especially like newspapers or um, letters that looked like newspaper printing. I'm not really sure why, um, but you can kind of see he kind of dabbles. Especially, there's a lot of guitars in cubism and i'm not really sure why i guess i didn't look further into that but it's because people who play guitars are real squares <laughs> okay just kidding for any of you well, out there who play guitars i that appreciate was highly you. offensive <laughs> Very, yeah hey you know what if that's the most offensive thing we say on this podcast i'm fine with it. that's fair so he is dabbling with all of these different movements so after World War One, Picasso starts trying to revert back to sort of more traditional styles, moving away from Cubism, which is interesting because around the 20s is when Cubism is actually being embraced by the art world. So I don't know, maybe there's some kind of nostalgia in that, but... Anyway, so he's moving away from Cubism at this point and starts taking on uh, classicism and is looking to uh, mythological imagery. So um, in particular, he is inspired by the birth of his son, Paolo, and 
kind of starts this neoclassical. Michael, would you like to break that word down? Neo meaning new, classical meaning classical. Yeah, exactly. Nailed so it. a new new <laughs> version of classical. So if you want to Google along with us, a woman in white uh, was his. Oof, and this is not something we've talked about yet, but Picasso had lots of women in his life, so I don't remember if she was his wife or just a girlfriend. Um, but uh, this image, woman in white, it looks like it could be a Greek woman. She's kind of in a toga, and um, it's, again, pulling on these mythological sort of imagery but i would say also drastically different from his i don't remember the name of the women in the brothel but we'll call them women in the brothel i think he would be happier with that than the actual name that's printed at moma the museum of modern art oh, for people who are not familiar with what moma is hey Listen, trying to make this accessible to everyone, I just want people to know, MoMA is the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, toward the end of the 20s, Picasso began leaning toward surrealism, which I'm not going to get into a whole, whole lot because that I'm sure we'll get into at a later date with a different artist maybe a surrealist artist exactly but um he did kind of take on this idea that the surrealists had um which they were trying to release the creative potential of the unconscious mind so surrealism you'll see a lot of sort of dreamlike figures um things that look kind of realistic but don't actually make sense say one of my favorite paintings by one mr dolly something like that Mm -hmm. nailed it Mm -hmm. perfect great so uh he also started doing some sculpture so his work in this time kind of started to to venture he was also um doing some like stage like set design stuff um he kind of went in a lot of different places but if you want to google along uh nude standing by the sea you say nude standing by the sea i will say for those of you googling along at home i highly encourage you to enter the name of the artist before you (laughs) enter nude standing by a sea (laughs) or else you're going to get something oofy doofy Something different. I would say probably all of your Googling should uh, start with the name of the artist. Or safe search. As a jumping off point. <laughs> oh, wow. So I Googled nude standing by a sea, and that looks like a ship with legs. And boobs. And boobs. Well, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that is not a person. Well, but... It- but I think you'll find, Michael, I think you'll find that it is a person. I think you'll find that it's a nude person standing by the sea. Hold on. I have to get <laughs> another drink. And then, yeah, maybe it will be. Yeah. So his his paintings and his art, um, he, you know, through his whole life, I will say this, throughout his whole life, he's experimenting. It's not like he's... Maybe toward the end, but through most of his life, he's pushing boundaries, trying to, I don't know, mostly to my eyes, make more weird stuff. So How weird can we make it? He is not one who is going to follow the traditional idea of what art and paintings should look like. He's going to yeah. try his own thing and right. good for him. <clears throat> yeah. And um, so, yeah, you can see in this one in particular that like like we were talking about all the anatomical parts are rearranged and the proportions are all off and weird i would say that the uh structures of the human body are vaguely there yeah but there it's interesting 
Yeah. Hecka interesting. So says one article that um, this, quote, rather threatening bather, I would say so, uh, reflects Picasso's inner turmoil of the, over the dissolution of his marriage to Olga, I'm not going to try and say her last name, and his affair with Maria Teresa Walter. So, so he had a lot of emotions. Stuff. Yeah, a lot of emotions going into this uh, painting, as it were. Sure, he's got some stuff going on. All right, so <clears throat> he's had his time in uh, surrealism. In so, I guess in the fall of 1931 is when he really started doing sculpture, some different mediums. In 1932, he has several international exhibits, and um, by this point, he is, like, super famous. People who know art know Picasso's name. And by 1936, um, the Spanish Civil War is happening, which I don't know, Michael, if you know much about the Spanish Civil War. I don't. Well, I didn't either before I started researching this. It's kind of interesting. Uh, The Civil War was between the Republican forces, which um, they are broken up into factions, such as the communists, the socialists, and the anarchists. And then there are the nationalists who want to return to, quote, the golden days of Spain. And they were based in law and order and traditional Catholic values. We are not going to get political on this podcast, no, but uh, oofy doofy, if I had anything to say about that. Yeah. So, the real unfortunate thing is that <clears throat> if you notice what what time we're talking about here the nazis are also around at this time and the nationalist um i don't know party force i don't know what they were called um group because i don't like party because it sounds like a fun thing sure they were aligned with the nazis and for about I don't have the the date written down, but um, for about two hours, Nazi warplanes bombed Guernica, Spain. Um, and the Nazis did this uh, because they were lending their support so that they could test new weapons and tactics out. Such as realizing that these aerial bombardments were super effective, which is what they did during the Blitzkrieg. Oh, that's brutal. So, at the time, Picasso was actually working for the Spanish government. He had been commissioned to do this mural and had been working on it for a little while and decided to change his plans completely and paints Guernica which again you can look this up G-U-E-R-N-I-C-A for those of you who need some assistance there that Um, would be me I would need assistance (laughs) granted I need assistance spelling most things some people call it say Guernica but if it's Spanish it's probably Guernica Um, again this is another giant piece it is mural size, even though it's painted on a canvas. It is 25.6 feet by 11 feet. Good golly. That is a... Mural size. Dang. Yeah. How it's... long did it take? Do you know how long it took him to do that? Uh, I don't have it written down anywhere, actually. But if we multiply how long it took him to do 8 feet by 8 feet... <laughs> know that it's a one-to-one we can create a ratio i used to be a math teacher for those of you following along at home so i'm going to create a ratio 
of I'm not a crap ton. We're not. This isn't happening. But go on. Uh, yeah, I don't think it actually took him that long um, to paint. It's so for those of you googling at home. So am I, and that is a fascinating piece. Yeah. So there's a lot going on here. Um, overall, the theme is like this oppression of innocent people right so and there's he didn't really ever give a lot of context for it so it's been up for interpretation and there's a lot of that so some of the imagery you can see here there is a person holding a candle there is someone being trampled by a horse the image on the far left is thought to be a mother holding her dead child. There is, you know, there's all of this anatomy everywhere. Limbs all over the place. It's very chaotic. Uh, the the Im- or the faces are rendered in kind of a surrealist, cubist sort of way you know they're not really realistic and um you start to see some of that kind of iconic quote-unquote picasso style like the person who's being trampled by a horse you can see their facial features kind of are all on one plane rather than looking like an actual face would if they were in that position so he was actually living in Nazi-occupied Paris at the time, and he was working on this. And at one point, um, a Nazi officer is in his apartment and sees, I think it was actually after it had already been on display, um, and a Nazi officer sees a photo of the artwork this is like my favorite part of this story even though the whole thing is super sad and the artwork itself is very tragic looking and very chaotic and causes a lot of emotions um this is my favorite part of it so nazi officer walks in and sees a photo of this piece in his apartment and the officer says did you do that and Picasso replies, no, you did. Oh. Oh, 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 oh. Whoa, that's good. Yeah. Um, so uh, just a few more notes about oh, what is kind of going on here. <clears throat> it's painted in black and white and a little bit of blue. So it kind of gives it a photographic effect. You know, it's kind of got the vibe of like a newspaper photo in that way that it shows it comes across to the viewer like this is a real thing that's being documented it's not exaggerated it's you know this is what actually is happening it's kind of replicating that style um <clears throat> the night that this happened 1,600 people died and 900 people were injured in this one small Spanish town. So those are like crazy numbers. Um, And yeah, Picasso was just trying to show these civilians who couldn't go anywhere, were bombed in their own homes. And I think the grief and the tragedy of that night really shows through yeah for sure it is uh it is truly a heartbreaking picture to look at or Mm -hmm. art to look at Mm -hmm. it um depicts a lot of sadness and tragedy and it's beautiful and yeah i don't even i don't even know what to say i mean obviously i don't think i could have looked at that painting and told you those emotions but knowing the history behind guernica and then seeing the piece, 
it's a lot. Well, and it's interesting too. I read an article about how, um, so because it's not an actual mural, it's a painting, it's on canvas, um, it was able to go it was able to travel so it said they said that it tends because there's not explicit commentary it's not like you can see out the window there's a plane and it's got a swastika on it or anything it's chaotic and tragic but at the same time kind of vague yeah almost a way to be able to subvert um the the controlling power which would have been the nazis at the time because like you said the nazi artist uh, the nazi person nazi officer. person officer that's the word uh came in and looked at it and said you know ask him if he painted this but if you look at the painting there's nothing to see except art there's no like this is a nazi killing somebody it is just crazy looking art well that too but also the fact that you can kind of as you look at the picture you get those themes i think you can get the chaos you can get the tragedy yeah and so it talked about how as they traveled around with this piece it took on the meaning of different places so it became the image of berlin it became the image of pearl harbor it became the image of hiroshima yeah. Without without being of those specific places. I don't know. I think it's fascinating. The fact that it's huge makes me so want to stand in front of it and look at it because it's such a different thing to look at an image in a textbook or on a computer screen or on your phone versus standing in front of it, especially a piece that big. Yeah, I would highly encourage you to uh, Google image search Pablo Picasso Guernica, G-U-E-R-N-I-C-A. Uh, and scroll down through, there's a picture uh, I'm looking at where there's a group of people looking at this piece, and it is enormous. I can't imagine what that would be like. That is fascinating. Yeah. So throughout his life, uh, he continued to experiment with different styles, different mediums, media. Uh he continued to draw back on some of those earlier themes. He would revisit uh, his sort of classicism. And he had a whole thing of where he depicted himself as a minotaur. Well, sure, yeah, as one as often one does. does. Especially uh, in your own head. He drew, obviously, a lot on his cubism he was actually the most prolific in his last four years of life wow uh he tries uh, he how kind of takes he he, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but how old was he when he died well he was born in what 81 hey, eighty one. You, know you guys do the math you'll figure it out <laughs> he was pretty old though he was kind of old uh, 80, 80. anyway uh he sort of takes on the different masters and kind of tries to recreate a variation of their some of their famous artworks which is kind of an interesting thing i feel like that's usually something that like art students do but i think he was just kind of looking for anything to push the boundaries um and uh yeah, so he he died in 1973. Um, and I did want to touch on this. Um, sometimes, and there's a lot of discussion in, in the culture, especially nowadays, um, about separating art from the artist and how does one do that and should we do that and can the art be appreciated aside from the artist but i don't want to glaze over who he was in his personal life uh as, on one hand he was this very revolutionary artist and he inspired and influenced many artists for years 
I mean, probably anyone after he, from the time that he lived on, is in some way impacted by the art that he was doing. Any artists, I mean. That being said, number one, he was a communist. Big fan of Stalin. Problematic. Right. I, mean, I, under- I understand the ideas of communism, but still... Being a fan of Stalin, probably not. Yeah, like great. a big supporter. Yeah. Um. So there's that. You can. We're not going to get super political, but you can say that that's probably problematic. Right, in and, and of you itself. can also. I think it's easier probably to separate someone's political views from their art than it is maybe some of the other issues he had. Right. Which, of which, uh, there are many claims of his misogyny which you can probably guess based on some of his previous pieces one article i read said that he regarded women as quote either goddesses or doormats Ooh, that's not great not great um and like i said he had a whole series where he depicted himself as a minotaur and there are images of Minot- the Minotaur raping women. Um, at least two women in his life. Like I said, there were many. But at least two of them committed suicide. Um, so his, <laughs> his granddaughter, which it's his granddaughter and um this i'm just gonna read this quote from her she said um the women or he submitted them to his animal sexuality tamed them bewitched them ingested them and crushed them onto his canvas after he spent many nights extracting their essence once they were bled dry he would dispose of them so not great no no it's not great not great so and like most of his relationships the reason he they ended was because he was having an affair (laughs) it was like oh his marriage ended because he was having an affair and then that marriage ended because he was having an affair and then he was having an affair and he was having an affair um it just is like this line so you know i don't i I don't know how to reconcile that like on one hand he's this brilliant artist who made leaps and bounds as far as art history is concerned on the other hand think of all the women he trampled to get there yeah and as a woman myself I can't feel great about that. Uh, yeah, that is that is brutal. And um, like you said, it's really hard to separate art and artist. Um, I think we can appreciate the boundaries he pushed in the art world mm-hmm. while simultaneously uh, not loving, not liking, not even wanting the things he pushed in his personal life. Yeah. So. But, you know, and then... We butt up against some of those things that are like, ooh, kind of both. Yeah. Like, what the women that he depicted and what he was doing to them while he was painting them. Or well, this is an uplifting way to end a podcast. I mean, it's not great, but I I couldn't let it go yeah. unsaid. No, you're right. Like, it's very fair. on one hand, Picasso is a household name. You know, even if people don't know the single name of any of his artwork, you say the name Picasso and everybody knows you're talking about an yeah. artist, probably a painter. You know, if I say, what are you, Picasso? Like, yeah. that's a thing. But at the same time, not necessarily a great guy. Well, I think we are going to leave it at that cool. uh with picasso yeah um, maybe a sad note on a crazy um c- kind of a crazy art art life uh mm-hmm. i while we were talking i was googling his I happened to see he did a number of self-portraits if you do a quick 
Google search of Picasso's self uh, portraits, you can see, I don't know, roughly 15 different photos, uh, paintings starting from the age of 15 to 90, and they are drastically different and crazy. So if you need a little bit of a cleanse, uh, palette cleanser, sorry about that, um, you can check that out. And it is wild, especially <laughs> as he gets older, he gets weirder so you got don't we all yeah in a way you know what yes speaking (laughs) as a 33 year old i have gotten weirder we want to thank you all for listening and uh shout out to the intro nacho music band my girl my whiskey and me thanks a lot for letting us use your music uh great band encourage you to buy their album uh wherever it's sold it's called in the ground it's really good and if you happen to get a chance to see them live they're a lot of fun And also, don't forget to get out and see your local art museum. And remember, it's just art.